Good morning. Hey, church, what do we do? We love God and love others. What do we say? I love God and I love you. Good morning. Good morning. Glad you're here uh, online and in person. Uh, so blessed by you. Uh, that was a fun video. Enjoyed that one. Uh, last week, uh, we finished off our series uh, uh, called Be Great with an incredible message about uh, great faith being humble and uh, trusting God completely. Like, what a blessing it is to have a uh, a church uh, where we get to enjoy God's message through uh, wonderful pastors, whether it's Pastor Jason or Pastor Peter and occasionally myself. And so, so stoked to be part of that. And today, we're bring, beginning this new series called Paralyzed, where we're going we're gonna to look at Mark's narrative over this pretty famous passage about Jesus healing a paralyzed man. And uh, we're going to do it in a, like a slow walk through the passage. So if you remember, a couple of years ago, we did uh, Walk to Remember, where we talked about Jesus walking on water with Peter. Um, and we just slowed it down a little bit. Uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend three weeks here in just about eight or uh, ten verses, eleven verses. And so um, that's where we're going. Have you guys ever had a friend like, uh, we have all sorts of friends, but have you ever had a friend or friends who are willing to go out of their way to help you out? Like they were just always willing to go the extra mile for you. Um, back, back when I was younger, uh, right when I had started college, I'm about 18 or 19 years old, I bought a motorcycle. And when you buy a motorcycle, everybody, uh, all your friends who don't know how to ride a motorcycle want to learn on your motorcycle. And so uh, I bought a motorcycle, and, and I taught you know, 10, 15, 20 people to, to ride my motorcycle. And one of my good friends, Ken, he wanted to learn, so I showed him around. Uh, he practiced for about 10, 20, maybe minutes with me watching, then went back and forth a little bit. And, and another uh, week later, he came back and he said, hey, can I borrow your motorcycle and just drive around? And I said, sure, Ken. And so he'd take off. And he has gone five minutes and 10 minutes and 20 minutes. And now he's gone like 40 minutes. And I was like, uh-oh. Like, you don't just drive around practice, like for 40 minutes. It's like now it's just too, like a motorcycle ride just doesn't last that long unless you're like going to a destination. And so I got really worried. And, and I called my friend Alvin. And Alvin's one of these guys who will always go out of his way for me. And so I just called him up. He lives in La Mirada. I was in Irvine. And I was like, yo, Alvin, our friend Ken, he took my motorcycle. And he hasn't returned. What should I do? And he's like, hold up. And I think I hung up the phone, and within like 15 minutes, uh, he broke all laws to get to Irvine or laws of physics somehow. And then like 20 minutes later or so, my friend Alvin's at the door, and he's like, let's go look for him. You know, let's go try to find him. And I, okay, you know, when you're older, you say, you'd call the authorities or the hospital. You'd do something like that, but not when you're 18. You'd go look for them, right? And so we jump in his like beater Camry. It's like got one headlight. It's nighttime uh, also. My friend Ken was driving around in the night. Uh, so he's got this one light on his old Camry, and he had gotten in an accident, so it's like the, the tail is destroyed, and we look ridiculous driving around Irvine here, and so we're, we're wandering around, trying to drive around, look for him, we can't see him, and, and we go by my church parking lot, uh, my church was in Irvine at the time, and, and we see some police officers there, and like, oh, we'll go ask them to see, like, you know, if there's been a report or anything, so we pull up, we got this one headlighted car, pull up, stop, jump out, run towards the police car, um, and it turns out this is probably not a good idea. Like, it wasn't thinking in my brain that that would be bad or, like, somehow we looked a little suspicious. Uh, it was, like, sprinkling and we had no jackets on because we run out of our house looking for our friend Ken. And we go running up and the police are like, get on the ground! And we're like, wait, where's my friend Ken? And they're like, shut up! And, like, all this stuff. Long story short, uh, 30 minutes later, we're sitting on the pavement, uh, arms crossed, folded across as they go through his car. Um, and we're sitting there, and Ken whizzes by on my motorcycle right past us, and we're like, I'm going to kill you, Ken. 
I hate you guys. And we sit there, and then, and ultimately, uh, I, I think they had to figure out a reason for. Well, the reason was we ran on the police car, but but they had to have a reason for getting so upset. So they gave him a fix-it ticket for his license plate, which wasn't on the bumper because the bumper was broken. It was on the back window, but it wasn't showing. So they gave him a fix-it ticket. And but uh, this is this this kind of guy, Alvin. I never even asked him like what he was doing before I called him. And I called him in this situation where we got, uh, you know, had to sit out with the police and have a conversation for a while with them, like an hour long. And, uh, and he didn't ask any questions. He just came right down. I don't know what he was doing before that. I don't know if I interrupted something. And he never said, never complained. And he's that kind of friend. Today, we're going to look at some friends that are kind of like that, uh, some friends in the Bible that, that just were willing to do anything for their friend. It comes from Mark chapter 2. So if you're following along in your Bible or in your Bible app, that's awesome. And if not, we'll have them up uh, here on the screen. So Mark chapter 2, it starts this. A few days later, well, a few days later than what? Like, so we're jumping in here. So every passage has a context. So a few days later, earlier uh, in chapter 1, it was talking about Jesus feel, uh, finishing this healing ministry where he was going around this area in Galilee, and he was healing people. He was uh, preaching in the synagogues, and he was casting out demons. And so he had been doing that. In fact, Mark one twenty eight says that after this dramatic demon possession where, where Jesus kicks out the demon, it says in, in Mark one twenty eight that his fame immediately started to spread around the area of Galilee. And so at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's now attracting, and he's preaching, and he's casting out demons, and, and that's all going on. And so that was what had been a free few days earlier. So a few days later, he, uh, it says, the Bible says, when he came, uh, when Jesus entered again into Capernaum, and so again, meaning, of course, he's coming back there. So uh, he's coming back to this place, Capernaum. Capernaum is a city that Jesus returns to often. If you want to think about, like, a, we don't remember a, a lot of cities in, in the Bible, but this is one in the New Testament you should probably take note of. Capernaum is like his home base. It's like a, his home base of on the Sea of Galilee uh, and his ministry into the Sea of Galilee. And so basically, uh, Jesus goes lake hopping. So he starts at Capernaum, he goes across the lake, uh, he ministers to a city right there, and then he goes inland a bit, comes back, Capernaum, back, Forth. Uh, someone on, uh, you, uh, on online made a graphic of that. There's a quick graphic. And so that's what it kind of looks like. You see it all centers around crossing this lake, then going inland, coming back to the lake, then going in, inland different places. And, and they return over and over to this city of Capernaum. And so here's Jesus coming back to his home base area. And here's what it says. The people heard that he had come home. And it's always really interesting that people can hear stuff. Like, they don't have cell phones, they don't have TV, they don't have anything like that. And yet, still somehow word spreads. Isn't that weird? Like, that's true. Like, something happens in your life, and all of a sudden, some random person knows about it. And you're like, how could you possibly know that thing about me? Like, I only told two people. And within three days, like, everyone uh, in Southern California knows, like, whatever your business was, right, somehow. And, and it's just a miraculous thing that people can do somehow. The word spreads fast, right? And so a word had spread and, uh, that he had come home. And we're talking about home. Jesus is from Nazareth. Nazareth is inland a, a bit. It's not right on the sea. And so when we're, we're talking about home, we're talking about his home base. This is probably Simon, Peter, and Andrew, their brothers, uh, their first two disciples. It's probably their actual house. Uh, we saw in chapter 1 that uh, Jesus was hanging out with them in their home. Uh, where he healed uh, their, uh, Peter's mother-in-law. And they, uh, these guys have a fishing business that's right on, the, right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And so they keep coming back to this is the house that's probably there. And so 
Word spreads fast that he's back home. And so people are like, he's there. We got to go down there. And they start showing up in droves. Here the Bible says, they gathered in such large numbers that there's no room left, like not even outside of the door. And so Jesus is getting a little bit of fame here. Now, one interesting about Jew- Jewish like, uh, custom or culture at this time is um, in-, in Jewish culture, it wasn't weird for people to just gather around a house. I know it would seem really crazy. Can you imagine you're in your house and people started gathering around outside? Like, it's going to be terrifying. It's like zombie movie or something, right? Like, people don't gather around, like, houses. Like, some people you invite and they come into your house, right? But your neighbors don't start showing up and looking in your windows to see, like, oh, who's in there? That would seem really weird. But that is actually how it works there. Because remember, they don't have any entertainment. There's no movie to go to. There's, <laughs> there's no Netflix to watch. They're literally neighbor watching. That's like, that's like, you get home from work, what should we do? Oh, what are they doing? And if they have a party, so it became this thing. Like, if you have a party, your guests would come into your house, but your neighbors and other people who weren't invited, they'd actually come and just watch. cake. You know, like, man, they made a lot of wine for this party. Man, I wish I was invited. It would literally be like that. And so we see this several times in the New Testament. Why are there people standing around watching? Because that was the thing. And you say, that is so weird, right? That if you had a party, you invited guests, they were allowed inside, but all the uninvited, they were actually allowed outside. And nobody was tripping about that. They weren't like, thought that was weird or whatever. And you're like, that is so weird. And I was thinking about it, but not really. This is really just Instagram and Facebook in the ancient world without technology, right? Isn't that exactly what we do on those platforms? We watch other people's lives, their parties, and their, and their shenanigans that are going on. That's exactly what we're doing. We're just doing it digitally and creeping, and so they can't even see us. At least these people, you can see like who's like, watching you, right? And, but this was a thing, so it, it, it's not weird. It's weird for us, but it wasn't for them. And there were so many people. Some were invited in the house. All those people, it's packed in, no, no room. And then the others are just outside, and it's packed. And so that's where we are here. And what was Jesus doing as all these people gathered around? The Bible says that he was preaching the word to them. Jesus was preaching. He was telling them the good news that God had sent him to save the world from sin. He was saying stuff like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. He says, I am the good shepherd, this kind of stuff. I am the light. I'm the bread of life. I'm living water. He was giving these kind of teaching. He was teaching this word. The Messiah that they had been hoping for all the way back since the time of Abraham, he's saying that Messiah is here and I am him. He was bringing the good news of a, of a new covenant, not based on our ability to reach up to God, but on God's ability to reach down to mankind. So already here in Mark, uh, in chapter 1, he's emphasized Jesus' preaching and teaching ministry multiple times. In fact, just in this first chapter 1 and the first few verses of chapter 2, he's already mentioned it four times that Jesus is preaching, that Jesus is in the synagogue teaching, that he came and was preaching and preaching and preaching over and over and over. And it reminds us that miracles, they're great, but only in as far as they help Jesus to demonstrate what he is saying is reliable and true. See, the reason he does miracles isn't to become famous, or, and he does care about people, but it's not primarily so that they'll live forever. He doesn't heal them and they stay healed. They eventually die. The reason he does miracles is to prove he is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he can do. Miracles are the visible proof of his invisible proclamations. When he says, I'm from God, well, how can you prove that? 
You can prove it by doing miracles. And so we're going to see a little bit about that a little bit more next week. Uh, so coming on our passage. So there's these men. They came here. And they brought him, or they were bringing him in a paralyzed man, and he was carried by four of these friends. So this paralyzed guy, he's got four friends who are willing to go out of their way for him. Just like I was mentioning my friend Alvin. He was willing to like, go out of his way, uh, possibly get in trouble with the police. I mean, we didn't mean to, but you know, like, he was willing to drop whatever he was doing to come and help me. And we see that here. This paralyzed guy, he couldn't go meet Jesus himself. Like, even if he wanted to, he's like, oh, man, I heard there's a preacher around that can heal people. Too bad I can't get there because I'm paralyzed. He needed help. And his friends came to help him. So let's take our first real pause in our passage here. How do you and I, how do we respond when we have a friend or a loved one in need? Are we a friend like these? Are we willing to go out of our way to help someone? Because take a step back and think about it. Like we just breeze over this, four guys came and helped a paralyzed friend. But it's not that, it's not that easy. Like they had had to have heard about Jesus. They had to have thought that Jesus was real true and, and he was actually healing people. Maybe they had to walk over and ask, get some research because you can Google it. You can watch TV about it. They had to figure out if, if it was worth to go there because I don't know if you want to tell your paralyzed friends that someone may heal him <laughs> and then go there and then it was just a bust or it's a, it's a, it's a fake or a fraud. And so they had to think about these things. They, they had to believe that Jesus could actually heal their friend. Otherwise, why would you take him there? If he can't actually help them, I'm not going to carry my friend to this false hope, right? If I, I don't think it's going to be real. I don't think he could get any healing. I'm not going to do it. It's not worth our... It, I, I care about my friend too much to do that. And then they had to coordinate schedules to be able to pick this person up. And I don't know if you've ever tried to coordinate schedules with people with cell phones, technology, and everything. It's still hard to coordinate schedules. It's hard to just do a meal drop-off, right? It's like this whole thing, and we got like emails that we respond all, and we have 7,000 people have emailed back to us, and it's hard to organize something like this. Plus, they don't have any these like cell phones and that stuff to help coordinate. They don't have that. And uh, have you ever carried a person? Persons are hard to carry. They're not even if you can carry the weight, they're, they don't carry well. So you got to rope up this guy's mat, get four of your friends to carry it on their shoulder. Uh, we don't know how far they went. They didn't throw him in the car. They had to walk him somewhere. Like, he, what if he, he's not a neighbor. What if he's like eight miles away? Because this is farming community. Here, your neighbor is like two, three houses away, five houses. You don't walk much more than that. But farming community, three houses away, maybe four miles they got to carry this dude. And so they got to decide that they care enough about this guy to carry their paralyzed friend all the way to this rando house and hope that he can get healing. Not only do you have to decide to do it, then you got to actually act upon it. Because you can make the plan, and then you're like, you know what, that's just not worth it. Forget it. But they do. And they finally get here. They get their friend. And then there's just one sentence, but we just breeze by it. But there was a lot of other stuff behind what was going on. They show up with their friend, hope in their hearts, and they get there, and the place is packed, right? The Bible says, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they couldn't get him to Jesus. They brought him all this way, all this plenty. They get over here. They had this hope, and they can't get even near Jesus. They can't catch a sight of him. He's inside. They can't, they can't get near enough for him to come help or heal. They can't shout over. The, there's a lot of people talking. There's a lot of business and noise. It's like a, they can't actually get there. It's like phantasmic. You can't show up at Fantasmic two minutes before it starts at Disneyland. 
there is no way you can see the show. <laughs> you can see the show from the parking lot. It's where you're standing to watch Fantasmic if you try to show up one or two minutes before. You want to see Fantasmic, you got to go three hours before it starts. Sit there which I don't mind nowadays that I'm older. Sit there. <laughs> I'll hold the spot. You guys walk around some more. Right? Sit there and wait for this. And so this is this fantastic. It's packed. They can't even get there to, to get into Jesus. And how discouraging would that have been? Like, so they show up. Here they're going to bring their friend. You know, you're full of energy, and then your plan falls apart. Like, I don't know about you, but once my plan falls apart, I get all, like frustrated and mad and sad, and I want to quit. And uh, But they don't. Their, their first attempt fails, but they don't give up, they don't give in, and they don't quit. They decide to try something else. Not discouraged by that initial failure, but determined to succeed. This is the kind of friends that we're talking about. So here's what they do. They go upstairs, and they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then they lowered the mat the man was lying on. So because of the crowded room they couldn't get in, and so they're going to lower him down from the roof. Now, this doesn't make sense in, in, our, uh, in our context because that's, our, what would this look like? How would that house look like? And, but homes of this area, they often had uh, an outside stairway that, that led to a rooftop. Now, the rooftop uh, would be called the upper room, the room that's above. You might have heard this phrase if you hang out at church at all, upper room, right? Uh, disciples go to the upper room to prepare the, the Last Supper. Um, when, when Mary goes into the town uh, and she's pregnant, there's no room in any of the upper rooms. This same word, or sometimes the inn. So the Bible translated it as an inn or, or a place you would rent out to people that they could borrow right above your house. So there's this outside stairways to the, the flat roof. These houses had flat roofs, just like this. And uh, sometimes that thing was covered. Uh, sometimes you would enclose it, and sometimes you'd put a canopy, and sometimes you'd just leave it open. So I would think if I were you, sort of like, a, do you guys have back uh, patios? If you've seen a back patio, sometimes it has some light covering. Sometimes it doesn't have any. And sometimes it has like a really good like rain covering. And sometimes people just enclose that thing, right? And they call it a sunroom, really just a bonus room. And sometimes they put like wall walls with AC, and then it becomes like part of the house. Uh, and, and so that's the same thing here. So imagine that's how this is. And then you could rent that out. That'd be your Airbnb sort of thing. So that's exactly what was going on when they says there was no room in the inn. Like there was no place to rent for Mary when she got to that town. And, and this was a place where you could either rent or borrow. It's a friend's house, and it's on top like that. And so, so they, they hop up there. Um, and in our intro video, there was like this pre-made like sun. Like, uh, and so that's possible. Some of those had those. Uh, if they were cooking indoors, they would have an opening like that. Um, but the, I think it's a bit misleading because the, the word in the passage here means that like, they literally broke up. They tore up the roof. And they're like, what does that mean? Well, these roofs were made like this. They had some big support beams. Mostly they're made out of... Uh, uh, brick, uh, like mud brick and stuff on the walls and rock. And then they had support beams across. And they would they'd get these cheap wood ones, uh, these really thin wood ones, uh, sort of like a pallet. If you've seen those pallet, like those thin pallet boards, they're really cheap. And then they would uh, put a cloth over it. And then they would uh, take these tiles that are made of uh, grass uh, grass and, and uh, clay. And they would put that on top of that. And they would seal it up with clay so that it would be waterproof inside. And, and so when we're talking about tearing it up, they have to like pull up these tiles, and then they're not probably going to shatter them. You could, they pop up mildly easy after you dig out the grout and pull up, and then tear the cloth, and you've got to break up a little bit of that wood, and that's what these guys are doing. And so it's like a, I, I don't know, this is like a misdemeanor at least, right? Like, I don't know, 
like breaking and entering, like literally breaking and entering your house. So like this dude in the house, like you own this house and your house is getting destroyed. You're like, seriously, what are you doing? Like you're, you are breaking my roof. Like, I don't know about you. I take my house pretty personally. I'll be running up that stairs like, what are you doing? Get off of my roof. Get out of here. So I don't know what was going on, but something crazy. What the heck are you breaking my roof? But the friends don't care. They're willing to risk big because they think there's a, a reward that's worth it. They think Jesus can really heal this guy. Again, they believe their friend would get help. They, they believed it enough to risk scorn and ridicule and trouble, even a bit of property damage. And they were willing to do it for their friend. Like, I don't know, but I'm not willing to break someone's house for my friend. Like, breaking and entering isn't part of the deal, friend. Like, sorry, I don't know what's... I guess, I guess if they needed it, maybe I'm... I hope I'm a good enough friend that I would do it, but I don't know. And so then Jesus is watching this, right? <laughs> Roof starts to tear open, faces look down, you know, like, everyone's like, like it's, it's, you're not teaching at this point, right? Because, like, stuff is falling down. The guy's, like, macheting pieces of wood and cloth, and like, the homeowner's, like, crying, like, yelling at his wife, what's going on? She's like, honey, what's going on? And Jesus looking at this, their heads pop in, and this is what happens. The Bible says, when Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he's looking at them. He sees their faces pop through this hole. And what does he see? Criminals. You know, he, sees, he sees their faith. It says their faith. The men who brought the paralyzed man, not the paralyzed man's faith. He's not looking at the paralyzed man. Who's he looking at? He's looking at the friends who brought the paralyzed guy there. He sees their faith. Jesus looked at them, struggling with the ropes tied to the corner, trying to drop this guy down. How ridiculous are you? You just tore up someone's roof. You're ridiculous. And Jesus looks at him and he says, I don't see ridiculous, I don't see criminal, I see faith. Because what did we learn last week? Faith was absolutely believing it was true and being humble enough to do something about it, right? To say, I can't fix it, but maybe God can. And that's what Jesus sees right in these guys. That's exactly what he sees, that they, they didn't care about themselves. Maybe people are going to think they're weirdos, maybe whatever. He didn't care. They don't care. They're like, I'm going to do this for my friend, whatever it takes. And I know Jesus can do something about his paralysis. And so that's pretty crazy. These guys demonstrated that kind of faith. And then Jesus notices. And this is our second real pause, pause moment here in this passage. When Jesus looks at us, when he looks at you, going about your day, running this church, leading in your families, speaking to your coworkers, how you're studying at school, how you write your term papers, how you interact with fast food workers, does he see your faith? When he watches you, because Jesus watching. Does he look at you and say, I see your faith? When he watches us, even when nobody else is watching, does he see our faith? When God looks at our attitudes, at our hearts, at our worship, at our generosity, does he see faith? Can Jesus say this phrase about us? And if not, don't we want him to? 
Like maybe it's time that we start to live out loud in every area of our lives, not just on Sunday. Live out loud the faith that we profess. Maybe, maybe we've got to let our faith be a little bit more evident in our interactions with people and how we approach problems or sicknesses or obstacles or life. Maybe we have to be a, a little bit less DL with our faith. Maybe we've got to live a little bit more out loud so that, that Jesus can see. Wouldn't it be cool if this phrase were about you? Wouldn't it be cool if Jesus saw your faith and he said, Myung, I see your faith as you interact. Andrew, I see your faith. Sarah, I see your faith. Or fill in your, wouldn't that, what if Jesus was looking at you and he said, ah, oh, man, I see it. I saw how you interacted with those people. I saw how you dealt with that problem at work. I saw how you talked to your kids. And I saw your faith in those interactions. How powerful would that be? And there's an additional thought here with this. We see here that God responds to the intercession of others regarding the person in need. See, what's the first thing he says? He says, I see their faith, and because I see their faith, he's going to do something. Not the man's faith, but the, the, the friends that are around him. And so our intercession for others matters. In other words, it matters that we pray. It matters how we act around those who are in need in our lives. It somehow moves God to act. And I don't know how always, you guys. I don't know how God's sovereignty and our free will interact. I don't know how, how my prayers change God or how they affect the heavenly realm and how they affect it. I, I don't know how it works together, but I know that it does. And, and I know that when we're willing to step out in faith, it matters. It, it matters when we intercede for someone. It matters when we exercise our faith to help other person. It matters from God's side. It changes things. And I don't know how, and theologically, uh, it, it gets confusing from God's perspective or man's perspective or whatever. But I know that it does, and I see that it does as I read Scripture. It changes things. It changes things in our lives and in other people's lives. How we intercede for other people matter. Check out what happens next in our narrative. Jesus, here's this big moment. He says, this paralyzed guy, your sins are forgiven, son. Here's this twist that that we're not quite expecting. And I don't think they were either. They were expecting this miracle worker guy that he was going to do something amazing. Now, Jesus addresses this guy with an affectionate term when he calls him son. It's like, hey, little son, hey, boy. He's not bothered or put off by this interaction. He was in the middle of teaching or a sermon or dinner or something, right? And he's not like, idiot, what are you doing? <laughs> he affectionately says, son, I got something for you. Your sins are forgiven. Now, this guy, he had a pretty big ailment for this time period. Like, there's no wheelchairs. There's no handicap access. There's no modern conveniences or aids for the disabled. He couldn't physically work. And he would be outcast because he can't function normally in society.